0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, o Lord. Afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, Christ.
1: Those sons of the prophets who were reminding Elisha that his master Elijah will be taken from him that day, those sons of the prophets are kind of an annoying bunch. In, first, in Second Kings chapter two, they've been hounding Elisha. Don't you know? Don't you know he's going to be taken away? Your master whom you followed, Elijah, you're not going to see him anymore. He's going to be gone. Don't you know? And you can hear you can hear Elisha's annoyance. Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Don't tell me about it anymore. Their annoyance goes on, even after Elijah has been taken away, they continue to kind of hound Elisha. There are a couple of really important lessons that come right after Elijah is taken into heaven in that chariot of fire. One of the most important lessons pertains to people like me, who don't have much hair on their heads. Maybe you remember the story about those young men who say to Elisha, get up, up, you bald head, and Elisha calls out a bear from the woods that comes and eats those boys up. That's an important story. If you haven't read that one, you should look that one up, 2 Kings chapter 2. But here's the story about the sons of the prophets. They see Elisha coming back by himself, and they say, Elijah's gone, just like we told you, he's going to be gone. But maybe, maybe he's not really so far gone. Maybe the Lord just picked him up and tossed him on the other side of a hill. Maybe the Lord swept him away, and we should go look for him. We should go see if we can find him. That's what we should do these sons of the prophets with all of their bright ideas. Elisha says, no, don't go looking for him. Don't bother looking for him. He was taken up into heaven, just as God said he would be taken. But the sons of the prophets, they're so insistent. In fact, it's reported that Elisha becomes ashamed. He's kind of embarrassed by how insistent they are. And so he says, fine, go and look for Elijah. See if you can find him. And they go searching and searching. And of course, they don't find him. They come back empty-handed, and Elisha says, I told you so. He says, I told you so. And I think there's some kind of relish in it when he says, I told you so. Why didn't you listen to me in the first place? Why didn't you hear what I said? Why did you try what I told you not to try? Why did you do what I told you not to do? I told you so. I said, this is exactly how it was going to work out. I told you so is one of our favorite things to say and our least favorite things to hear. You can hear it coming a mile away, can't you? When you've made a mistake, when you've done something someone told you shouldn't have done, told you not to do, you can hear it coming. In fact, they don't even have to say it to you because you've already said it to yourself. She told me so. I shouldn't have done it. He told me so. I should have kept my mouth quiet. Whatever it might be, our favorite thing to say and our least favorite thing to hear Well, it turns out that I told you so is also one of God's favorite things to say. He says it in kind of a different way. I think differently even than Elisha said it. He says it to the disciples in Mark chapter 16. Not in so many words, but you can hear it as he rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. I told you so. I said over and over again in the Gospel of Mark. It's three times he tells his disciples, I'm going to be handed over and they're going to crucify me and on the third day I'm going to rise, just wait for it. And here they are, not believing the reports of exactly what he said would happen. I told you so. Rebuking them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. That's what they needed. That's what we need so often. We need a big fat I told you so, so that we can learn our lesson God enjoys it, I think. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom speaks to the fool. Wisdom speaks to the fool and says, look, if you continue in your foolish ways, you're going to get into all kinds of trouble. I promise you that. And when it happens, wisdom says, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to laugh at you. I'm going to enjoy saying, I told you so. Now, of course, the reason why God relishes saying, I told you so, is very different from the reason you and I relish it. We like to say, I told you so, because we like to be proven right, because frankly, we're not right very often. And so every bit of rightness we can find, we hold on to for dear life, especially in relationships with other people. We love being right. But of course, God doesn't need to demonstrate that he's right. That's not why he enjoys saying, I told you so. God says, I told you so, to the disciples. He rebukes them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. He does that because what he wants above all else is for us to believe him. Not just that he would be proven right, but he wants us to trust in him. He wants us at the end of our days not to be listening with bated breath for and I told you so that's going to put us to shame, but he wants us at the end of our days to be the ones saying, you told us so. You said this is how things would go. You said these are the things we'd suffer. You said... This was the glory that you had prepared for us. And so, our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ often say, I told you so, it's something you should get used to in this life. That's how God teaches us to trust in him. Everything hinges, absolutely everything hinges on God's word being true. On his promises being true. The disciples were in fear. They didn't know what was going to happen because they had thrown in their lot. They had invested everything with a man who died. I was thinking about the parallel to political campaigns. Have you ever wondered what happens if uh, somebody's, say, a staffer or working for a political campaign? Six months, 12 months, 18 months working on a campaign for some political figure. They've invested their life countless hours they've lost time with their family, they've said all kinds of things that they probably regret saying, they've put in their whole lot with this political figure, and then election day comes, and you know what happens? If that person loses the election, you're out of a job. Just like that, overnight, you need to find a new job. In fact, there's a guy in Washington, D.C., who has a business in finding new jobs for people who've, who have been on campaigns and their political figure has lost the campaign. What a devastating thing. That's exactly what the disciples were afraid of. They were afraid that they would hear from the world those dreadful words. I told you so. You've thrown in your lot with this man. This man, we know where he came from. We know who his parents were. We know what he's like. This man, you threw in your lot with him. Now he's dead. I told you so. If he was the Son of God, he could have come down from the cross Yeah, you say he's risen from the dead, but that was an easy fraud, isn't it? Just roll away the stone and carry him off and say, well, he said he was going to rise from the dead. You shouldn't have done it. You need to find a new job. That's, I think, what the disciples were doing on that that day in John, at the end of the Gospel of John, when they go back to fishing. They were trying to find a new means of employment. But Jesus comes to them today, and when he rebukes them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief, he is taking those words out of the mouth of the world. I told you so. Everything depends on my word being true, and see, it was, and that is the best news imaginable. This is the best thing you could ever hear for God to say to you, I told you so. It means that it is true. Everything he has promised from beginning to end, everything he said would happen from beginning to end, everything he said about your sinful heart's And the fate that awaits you left to your own devices, it was all true. Everything that he said about his deep love for you, which knows no bounds, not even the bounds of hell, it was true. Everything he said about how death can't hold a candle to the power of God, to the love of God in Christ Jesus, it was true. He said to the disciples that he was coming to be victorious. That he was coming to win a battle. That he was waging war in a surprising way. That he was leading a military, leading an army of soldiers, not like the armies that you see around you, with weapons, with coercion and power and might. But he was waging a war against our foe, that old evil foe. He was waging a war against the devil. And now he has won that is what he told them he was going to do, and that is what he has accomplished. And now he says to them, I'm going away. He's leaving them. He's told them before. John chapter 14, Jesus tells the disciples again and again, and all the way through John 16, he says, I'm going away. I'm going away, he says, to prepare a place for you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And that is often what we picture when we think of Jesus ascending into heaven, leaving his disciples behind, Going to prepare a place. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would not I have told you? And yet I go to prepare a place for you. But think about what it means for Jesus to prepare a place for you. He's not the one, I don't think at least, the one dusting and making the bed and tidying things up. When you're the king, you call your servants to do that. When you're the Lord, You hire people. You find people to take care of that. But you oversee it. You make sure that the place is prepared. That is what Jesus has gone to do. To make sure the place is prepared. You can see this in Mark chapter 16 because what he has gone to do is to sit at the right hand of the Father, the place of all authority and might and power, the place above every rule and might and power. He has gone to do everything that is needful for you. Think about this. Better than being on the campaign of some political figure. Better than being on the campaign of the President of the United States and then getting appointed to be the Secretary of State or whatever it might be. Better than that. The Son of God died and rose for you, and now he ascended to the right hand of the Father, the seat of all power and might, to do what? To intercede for you. To look down at you and see your needs and to pray for you. To petition his Heavenly Father to go to work for you. To summon his holy angels to protect you and care for you. To make sure that the devil is laid to waste in front of you. To make sure that you hear his word plain and clear. He sends you his spirit so that you can trust his promises. He does all of this for you. That, that is how he prepares a place for you. This victory over the devil, this ascension to the right hand of the Father, this enthronement, better than the enthronement of any king on earth, this enthronement is a victory, it's a future that is far different from anything we've ever experienced before. When Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, it's a victory unlike the kinds of victories that we experience in this world. So think about the kinds of victories that you know, like when your sports team wins. Imagine if the Vikings were to win the Super Bowl. Imagine. That's hard, I know. But imagine what the celebration would be like. Minneapolis would be a wreck for a week or more afterwards. But then, but then, what happens? It all fades away. And another team wins and it's forgotten. And maybe you see some pictures or you watch some highlight footage and you have some memorabilia, but it all fades away. That's not the kind of victory we're talking about. That's not the kind of ascension. That's not the kind of parade that we're talking about. We're talking about something that changes everything for all eternity. Here's how St. Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3. If you have been raised with Christ... Which you have, by virtue of your baptism into His death, you've been raised with Christ. You should seek the things that are above, heavenly things, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul says, "Set your minds not on earthly things; these things that are passing away, these things that are fading, these things that are forgotten. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden." With Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life, your life, is with Christ's life, which means that whatever goes for him goes for you. In fact, he says it's even better for you. He has done great and glorious works in this world, and you will do even greater works. He says that you have been given a spirit, a new heart, to trust in his word, to follow his commandments, to keep his commandments, to walk by the Spirit. He says that he has given you peace, a peace which the world cannot give, a peace that sets your heart at ease, that frees you from guilt and shame and fear, a peace that will not just last for a time, that's not just for a moment or a feeling, but for all eternity. That's what it means to have Jesus, your Savior, your brother, seated at the right hand of the father he says to the disciples in mark chapter 16 he says i told you so forget leave behind all of your doubt all of your despair leave it behind something new is starting now follow me he says you're going where i'm going follow me your life is my life follow me you're my people i've already done absolutely everything needful for you and i will never stop I think that's what the sons of the prophets couldn't understand. As they watched Elijah disappear, they couldn't understand why Elisha didn't seem to care so much. Of course, Elisha grieved that Elijah was gone. But Elisha had promises from God. He knew where Elijah was. He knew what God had in store for him. He knew, he knew of his coming Savior. You know. Of a Savior who has loved you beyond all measure. Who has taken away all of your sins and who reigns eternally for your sake. To God alone be all glory now and forever.